0: Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 463. It's titled, How to Lock in Higher Yields in Case Interest Rates Fall. Last week in our free Insider's Guide email newsletter, I wrote about how the consensus of financial market participants is that cash yields will fall. Central banks are the entities that determine what cash yields are because the yields on cash, such as for CDs, money market mutual funds, are tied to central bank policy rates. Right now, the U.S. Federal Reserve policy rate, also known as the federal funds rate, is in a range between 5.25% and 5.5%. And it's been that way since July. The Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta publishes a chart where they look at expectations for the policy rate going out into the future, and market participants expect the Fed's fund rate to be less than 4% by September 2024 and will end the year around 3.6%. That's a 1.5% reduction in what we can earn on cash. After sending out that email newsletter, which you can sign up for at MoneyForTheRestOfUs.com, one of our listeners wrote, given that cash yields are predicted to fall, would bullet ETFs lock in current rates? If so, why wouldn't investors who believe the falling yield prediction lock in current rates well into the future? That's what we're going to discuss in today's episode, how to go about doing that, including what's a bullet ETF. Longer-term interest rates are a function of expectations for future short-term interest rates. I just relayed how the market expects short-term interest rates, cash yields in the future, the policy rate, to be lower by the end of 2024. And because an element of what determines interest rates is based on those future expectations, we have seen longer-term interest rates fall. U.S. Treasury bond yields have fallen between 0.8% and 0.9% from mid-October 2023 through yesterday, and that's for bonds that mature between 5 and 30 years. So that expectation of future short-term rates does influence longer-term rates. There are two other elements, though. Inflation expectations also determine long-term interest rates, and what we can do is we can compare the yield on nominal government bonds to the yield on inflation index bonds. For example, the current yield on U.S. 10-year nominal treasury bonds is 4.11%. The yield on 10-year treasury inflation protection securities is 1.8%. The difference is 2.31% market participants expect inflation over the next 10 years to average 2.31%. If we go back to October 19th, 2023, those inflation expectations were 2.5%. That was the difference between nominal 10-year treasuries and 10-year tips back then. That's the second element, inflation expectations. The third element is sort of a catch-all. It's called a term premium. It's additional compensation that investors want in addition to their expectations for short-term rates in the future and inflation expectations. It's really a a catch-all to capture that uncertainty about what the central bank will do or what inflation will be. It's also reflective of supply and demand. If there's much greater supply uh, of bonds or issuance of bonds, compared to the desire to hold those bonds, that can push up rates, and that would be captured in that term premium. If we look then at the the drop in interest rates since October, about 0.9%, a big component of that has been the term premium. Back in October 2023, the term premium went positive. It was around 0.35%. Now, it's negative 0.2%. Term premiums aren't easy to see in the market. is sort of estimated. But it's about a half percentage point drop in the term premium. And that's a big component of the 0.9% drop in interest rates since October. Inflation expectations have also declined about 0.2%. And that leaves the future short-term rates, the drop in that expectation, about 0.2%. So those three elements About 20 basis points for inflation, 20 basis points for future short-term interest rates, and a half percent for the term premium is why we're now seeing interest rates about 0.9% lower than they were last October. And last October was really the high we've seen in interest rates in many years. Before we continue, let me share a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? well, given cash yields, while attractive at, at five to five and a half percent, and even though longer term yields have fallen and, and are lower than cash yields, shouldn't we lock in those higher yields? What does it actually mean to lock in a higher yield? Well, we do that by purchasing a bond, an individual bond, which is a debt instrument issued by a government, a corporation, or other entity. You can buy an individual bond. Or we could buy an ETF that invests in bonds, and in this episode, we're going to talk about a particular type of ETF called a bullet ETF, but let's focus on individual bonds right now. Bonds are are essentially loans that investors make to the issuer. Those bonds have a, a face value, sometimes known as a par value, and that's the original amount that the bond was issued at that the interest payment is determined, so a bond will have a face value. Par value, and it'll have a coupon rate, which is the interest rate used to calculate the interest payment on the bonds. And most bonds pay interest every six months. And that interest payment is a function of the coupon rate multiplied by the face value. When we talk about locking in yields, part of that yield is that coupon rate. But there's a second element that influences the yield, and that's the price paid for the bond. An investor buying a bond may not pay that face value. They may pay a lower amount, so buy the bond at a discount, or they may pay more than that face value and pay a premium. Whether the bond is sold at a discount or a premium is a function of the coupon rate, but also prevailing market interest rates. When we talk about yield, we're really referring to something called yield to maturity. And that's an estimate of the total return for the bond if if held to maturity. And it's a function of the coupon rate. And it's also a function of the discount or premium paid, the difference between what is paid for the bond and what the face value is. A bond that is selling at a discount to its face value will have a yield to maturity that's higher than the coupon rate. And that's because market interest rates are higher than the bond's coupon rate. And because the market rate is higher, the value of the bond falls. Because if an investor can get a higher yield with a different bond, a newly issued bond, compared to the older bond that has a lower coupon rate, the price of that older bond has to fall so that investors are equivalent between buying a more seasoned bond and a newer bond. So a bond that is selling at a discount to its face value or or par value, has a yield to maturity that's higher than the coupon rate. A bond that's selling at a higher price or premium to its par value will have a yield to maturity that is lower than the coupon rate, and that's because market interest rates are lower than the stated coupon rate. In the current environment, most bonds outstanding are selling at a discount, and, and that's because interest rates are higher now than they've been in a number of years. So many of those bonds have lower coupon rates. As interest rates have gone up, the value of those seasoned bonds have fallen to where they're selling at a discount. Bond prices then will fluctuate as market interest rates fluctuate. We saw this in 2022. If you were invested in a, a bond ETF, such as the Vanguard Total Bond Market ETF, tickers BND, it had a negative 13% return in 2022. Partly because interest rates rose, the value of that ETF's bond holdings fell, and then those losses were partially offset by the interest payments received. Year-to-date, we've seen interest rates go up a little bit this year. For example, the 10-year Treasury Inflation Protection Securities yield for the U.S. at the beginning of the year was 1.74%. Now it's 1.8%. The overall bond market, as reflected in the return of BND, has returned negative 1% year to date, and that's because interest rates rose. When we talk about locking in yields, what we mean is we want to benefit from a higher yield to maturity without worrying about price fluctuations due to changes in interest rates. If we lock in yield, we're going to get back the principal or the face value of that bond at maturity. In the meantime, we're receiving the coupon payments, which we can spend or reinvest in other bonds or other asset classes. The yield to maturity is an estimate of what the return of the bond will be if it's held to maturity. If we want to lock in a yield on 10-year government bonds right now, a treasury bond, we can do that by purchasing a recently issued 10-year bond with our broker, or we can do it on Treasury Direct, which is the government's website. And and these government bonds can be purchased in other countries also. All countries issue government bonds. And, And if we purchase that bond and hold it to maturity, we will earn the starting yield to maturity of that bond if we indeed hold it until it matures and we get the principal back. And by doing so, We don't have to worry about whether interest rates are going to go up or down because we're getting our coupon payment. And if we bought the bond at a discount, that discount will narrow over time and we'll have earned that starting yield to maturity. Many investors don't want to purchase individual bonds. They would prefer to invest in a mutual fund or an ETF and have a manager figure out which bonds to purchase. Bond ETF firms have come up with a solution to that. They are ETFs that have a set maturity date. These are sometimes called bullet ETFs. Major providers in the US include Invesco and iShares. And we can get a bullet ETF, which is an ETF with over 100 bonds, in the case of corporate bullet ETFs. And those bonds will mature in a certain year. And then at that point, the ETF ends and sends back all the money. So it's like owning an individual bond, but in an ETF structure. Bullet ETFs exist for treasury bonds, investment-grade corporate bonds, non-investment-grade bonds, which is what this listener was asking about, sometimes called high-yield bonds. There are municipal bond bullet ETFs, and iShares recently began issuing bullet ETFs that invest in treasury inflation protection securities. Let's take a look at an example The Invesco Bullet Shares 2030 Corporate Bond ETF, the ticker is BCSU. It owns over 250 investment-grade corporate bonds. And if you go through the list of the bonds it's hold, they're they're name brand companies that you would recognize. The expense ratio of this ETF is 0.1%. The yield to maturity, or in this case, the, the SEC yield, which is an estimate of the yield to maturity, it backs out that expense ratio, that's 4.9%. So that would be an estimate of the yield that an investor could lock in. The average coupon rate on the bonds held in that ETF is lower. And we know that because we can look at the distribution rate, the actual amount paid out as dividends to the shareholders of the ETF, that distribution rate Is 4.2%. Because the distribution rate is less than the yield to maturity, we know that this ETF is is selling at a discount to whatever net asset value it was issued at, and that the bonds that the ETF owns, most of them are selling at a discount. This is important, and I had a discussion recently in our member forums on Money for the Rest of Us Plus. A member had a question. Uh, about this. They were looking at buying some bullet ETFs, specifically the Invesco bullet ETF that invested in treasury bonds that was going to mature in December 2026. The ticker is IBTG. The member looked and saw that the SEC yield was 4.4%, but he also saw that the ETF was selling at a discount to the issue price ETF was issued at $25 a share, but the the current price of the ETF was about a 9% discount. And because when the bullet ETF matures, it will pay out its net asset value, about $25 per share, the member was thinking, oh, I'm locking in a yield to maturity of 4.4%, plus I'll pick up the narrowing of this discount, the 9% discount, and over three years, that's about 3% additional yield. So my total return is going to be closer to 73 to 7.4% annualized. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. The yield to maturity on these bullet ETFs factor in the, the discount, the discount on the individual bonds and the discount of the ETF, its market price relative to the issue price. It's all the same math. With this member, I, I pointed out the holdings of IBTG, and you can see that most of the underlying bonds are selling at a discount. And you could also see the coupon rate of these bonds, and most of them are at a coupon rate that's lower than prevailing interest rates, and that's why the underlying bond is selling at a discount, and the ETF is selling at a discount relative to its issue price. And then over time. The discount of this underlying bond will narrow, as will the discount of the market price of the ETF relative to its issue price as it approaches maturity. This particular ETF then will earn, if someone buys it, their return will be around 4.4% annualized through December 2026, not the over 7% annualized that the member was expecting. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Teams are buried in manual work, and it's taking forever to close the books. If this is you, you should know these three numbers, 37,0251. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down cost. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. I know in our business, we've seen how important it is to have the key information to make better decisions, and NetSuite can help you do that. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist, designed to give you consistently excellent performance, absolutely free at netsuite.com/david. That's netsuite.com/david to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com/david. Our listener then wrote about a the Investco's bullet share 2031 high-yield corporate bond ETF, ticker is BSJV. He gave us an example as well, can't we lock in that higher yield then if cash rates are going to fall? And we can. The SEC yield of that bullet ETF is 6.69%. The expense ratio is 0.4%. So if we add that back to the SEC yield, that means that the The bonds in the fund have an average yield of maturity of around 7.1%. We potentially then could earn 6.7% annualized between now and when this bullet ETF matures in December 2031. That assumes there aren't any defaults on the underlying bonds. If there are, that will pull down the return. Why do we lock in yields then? There's ways to do it. We can purchase individual bonds. We can purchase bullet ETFs. We can see what the yield to maturity is or the SEC yield, lock in the yield. We do it because we're happy with the yield. We're saving for retirement or we're investing in retirement. And we want to capture these returns and go out longer as opposed to just keep most of our fixed income in cash and seeing those yields drop over time. If the Federal Reserve or other central banks lowers rates. This is a way to continue to get a higher yield going out five to ten years or more. And that's why we do it. We can do it with tips, something that we talked about in episode 455, building a tips ladder or a ladder of treasury inflation protection securities. And when doing a tips ladder, and one can use tipsladder.com, you buy an individual tips that mature in a given year and then you spend the amount of interest received as well as any of the bonds that mature, and that's another way to do it. When we lock in yields, we get some optionality. If interest rates fall, the value of the bullet ETF or the individual bond will increase, and then we have the choice of selling it and capturing that gain. If we do, though, then we have to decide what to do with the money. We can spend it, or we have to reinvest it. And if we're reinvesting it, we're now seeing that yields are probably lower because that's why the value went up. In the past couple of years, I've locked in higher yields, primarily using some individual treasury bonds, as well as treasury inflation protection securities. I've not invested in bullet ETFs, but I'm not opposed to it. It's just that my other fixed income holdings, closed end funds that I own or active mutual funds they have a higher yield than I can get using a bullet ETF. And so I'm content with the investments I have in that space, many of which are credit-oriented, which we've discussed in earlier episodes. They're in, they're exposed to high-yield bonds. They're exposed to bank loans or leveraged loans, as well as some private debt. But we lock in these higher yields for some peace of mind so that we're not dependent or worried about cash yields falling and we're not getting as high a yield anymore. Even though we don't know exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be a function of central bank's policy rates and expectations for that, but also inflation expectations and then uncertainty regarding supply and demand, what gets reflected in the term premium. In our premium membership community, Money for the Rest of Us Plus, we do a weekly QA episode with plus members. And with the year end break, we kind of had a, a backlog of questions. Some of the questions that we received are appropriate for this episode. So here's, here's a question that we got. A member asked, I have a practical question about buying into long-term non-treasury bonds and municipal bonds, municipal bonds being bonds that are issued by states and municipalities. We'll talk about municipal bonds here in a moment. member continues, from what I can tell, most issuances from corporate bonds and government agencies are, are callable. And by callable, they can be redeemed early. And the member asked, well, why would any investor purchase one of these bonds that could be called early and then be faced with having to reinvest the proceeds? And he was looking for some guidance, some type of formula to decide whether to purchase the bond or not. Callable bonds have a measure called the yield to worst. We've talked about the yield to maturity, which is an estimate of the return combination of the coupon and or price pay, the discount or premium, it's a yield that we can lock in until maturity. But there's also something called yield to worst, which is the yield estimate if the bond is called early. Investors will often purchase a bond that's callable because the yield to worst is attractive to them. And they're okay if the bond gets called early. Some things that we can consider when deciding that is, well, what price do we get when the bond is called early, and how does that price compare to what was paid? One member mentioned in our member forum that he has some bonds that are callable, and he's fine with it because they're selling at a discount to the value that he would get if the bonds were called and redeemed early, and so he'd be fine because then he would pick up the difference between what he paid, and what they will redeem the bond at. So that's something to consider. We can also consider how likely the bond is to be called. Corporations and government agencies only call bonds, redeem them early if there's some incentive to do so. And usually it's because prevailing market interest rates are lower than the coupon rates of the bonds that are outstanding. And so by redeeming calling a bond early, the entity can lower its overall interest cost. So when considering purchasing a bond that's callable, we want to be aware of what the coupon rate is. A bond with a lower coupon rate is less likely to be called if the coupon rate is less than prevailing interest rates, whereas a bond that has a coupon rate that's closer to prevailing interest rates. That bond is more likely to be called if market interest rates fall. So in purchasing a callable bond, we want to look at what the yield to worst is, look at what the redemption price is relative to the current price, and look at what the coupon rate is relative to prevailing market interest rates, and then we can decide whether we want to purchase this callable bond or not. Another PLUS member wrote, with Treasury Inflation Protection Securities and Other Investments I've started to think about the tax implications of these investments. A large portion of our portfolio is in real estate. And one of the bigger advantages that I've seen with real estate investing is the ability to defer taxes via depreciation and 1031 sales. If you own real estate, if you decide to sell the building, at least in the US, you can transfer those proceeds into another building and not have to pay Capital gains tax on the sale of the original building. And that's, that's a, a benefit. And then there are also some depreciation benefits, deductions that can be taken by owning real estate. The member is, is asking, given they're in a high tax bracket, is, is there something similar, tax sheltered for, for investing in bonds similar to what's in real estate? And, and the primary way would be municipal bonds. Municipal bonds are sometimes referred to as munis, they're exempt from federal income tax. And if you live in a given state and you purchase a municipal bond that was issued in that state, those bonds are often also exempt from state income tax. Now, because of this tax exemption, the yields on municipal bonds are lower than nominal bonds. If you invest in a... Bond that's not municipal bond, the, the interest income, if it's held in a taxable account, it's taxable. And selling a bond that, again, is taxable. And so bonds are taxable. They don't have the benefit uh tax deferral that you see with real estate or other asset classes. But most people own bonds for the income, and they recognize that the income is going to be taxable. And then they have to decide, do we purchase a taxable bond or A municipal bond. And as part of that analysis, we want to look at what is the tax equivalent yield of a municipal bond. So we can compare apples to apples. And we calculate that by taking the yield on the bond, the yield of maturity or the SEC yield of an ETF and divide it by one minus the marginal tax rate of the individual. For example, the Invesco Bullet Shares 2031 Municipal Bond ETF, ticker is BSMV it has an SEC yield of 2.73%. If an individual investor is in a marginal tax rate or has a marginal tax rate of 35%, and the marginal tax rate is, is, is sort of the, the highest tax rate that that individual will pay on their last dollar of income, let's say that's 35%. We can take the 2.73% SEC yield and divide it by 1 minus 35%, which is 065 And 2.73% divided by 0.65 is 4.2%. That's the tax equivalent yield on this bullet ETF that we can compare then to other options, such as the yield on seven to 10-year nominal treasury bonds is 4.1%. So at a 35% marginal tax rate, investing in this municipal bond bullet ETF only has about 10 basis points higher yield on a tax equivalent basis. The pricing of municipal bonds varies over time. There are times when municipal bonds, the tax equivalent yield is higher than comparable treasury bonds. Sometimes it's lower and it depends on supply and demand. Right now, it's about the same. And so an investor can decide, well, I I, I want to do the municipal bullet ETF or I want to invest in treasury bonds. Conclusion then, we can lock in higher yields right now because the market is anticipating lower cash yields this year. We'll see inflation has to come down, but it is likely the Federal Reserve will cut policy rates at some point this year. Maybe not to the extent that's priced into the market right now, but because of that, we can lock in some higher yields by investing in some longer term bonds. We've given some examples of how to do that. You can do it through bullet ETFs, you can do it through individual bonds. There isn't a right answer because we don't know what's going to happen. We've talked about what influences those interest rates. But if most of your fixed income is in cash, it would be prudent to invest some of those proceeds in fixed income securities or ETFs that have longer term maturities. Do it through individual bonds. You can do it through bullet ETFs. And in that way, you lock in those yields and benefit from the optionality if rates fall and the value of those securities goes up. That's episode 463. Thanks for listening. You may be missing some of the best money for the rest of us content. Our weekly Insider's Guide email newsletter goes beyond what we cover in our podcast episodes and helps elevate your investment journey with information that works best in written and visual formats. With the Insider's Guide, you can discover actionable investing insights provided only to our newsletter subscribers. Unlock greater investing confidence with high-value snippets from our premium products, plus membership and asset camp. Access exclusive news, offers, and events you won't hear about anywhere else. Further connect with the Money for the Rest of Us team and community. And when you sign up, we'll also send you our exclusive investing checklist to help you invest with more confidence right away. The Insider's Guide is the best next step to get the most out of your investment journey. If you're not on the list, go to moneyfortherestofus.com and subscribe with the Become a Better Investor sign-up box. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation, not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.